Welcome to this podcast from the Royal College of Anaesthetists. My name is Fiona Anderson and I'm the Education Administrator here at the College and today I am joined by Dr Matthew Tuck who's going to talk about the Junior Doctors Contract. So Matthew, welcome. Um, do you want to give me a bit of a background about your history and what you do for a living? Sure, so I currently am an Education uh, Fellow in the North East. Uh, I split my time between uh, teaching medical students and uh, as a clinician within anaesthesia. I am the Deputy Chair of the UK Junior Doctors Committee uh, with a portfolio of professional issues um, and was involved in the process of, of trying to improve the contract from 2016. That's great. So do you want to start off by just providing a bit of an update on the Junior Doctors contract, please? Of course. So as most people will know, there was an imposed contract that was rejected in 2016. Um, as part of that contract, that was written in that we would have a review process in 2018, which we started. That culminated in a, a negotiation process that led to a deal being put before our membership in the summer of 2019, uh, which then was accepted by 82% of those who voted being in favour of adopting it as the contract for English uh, junior doctors. Since then, uh, we've had various levels of implementation of those changes, some happening with the August changeover, some backdated to April 2019, and various others uh, staggered as an implementation between now, uh, most of them being done by February of 2020, uh, but some, in terms of the pay points, continuing to improve until 2022. And what, do you, what would you say are some of the key issues that have influenced the contract? I think some of the key influences of it, uh, of change the contract have been our awareness of some of the health implications of our working patterns and our desire to improve the rest and contractual requirements to rest within our terms and conditions. Um, so improvements to, for example, any night shift you work, whether it be a single night shift or a run of four, which are the maximum you can work, you are now entitled to 46 hours of rest before you start any other duty. There's limits now uh, more on consecutive days worked on how many weekends you can work, so no longer can F2 doctors be forced to work more than one in two weekends, which is usually in their A&E rotation. So now that max would be at one in two. So there's been, a, I think, a number of issues that have, have influenced this, the desire to sort of wrong, the, uh, to right the wrong of, of some of the pay restriction of the last 10 years um, and some of the safety elements, as well as addressing the fact that some of the, co the changes that were imposed in 2016 potentially disadvantaged uh, some minority groups uh, as well as actually some majority groups such as those working less than full time or, or for example women um, who would uh, anticipate to take potentially more time out of training than their, than their male colleagues. It's interesting that you said about the impact on sort of those studying less than full time. Can you elaborate a bit more on the impact on them? Of course. Um, so in the, the original 2002 terms that we worked on um, prior to 2016 had an element of annual uplift to pay. So every year your pay would increase. Uh, up to a, a limit around sort of a, sort of a fictional ST10 level. Um, under the new terms, that didn't happen, and your pay only changed as you progressed through your curricula. Obviously, if you take less time to progress through that, uh, sort of more time to progress through that, and you take career breaks or you go less than full time, you no longer get that annual increment. Um, and although your earnings on paper would be the same on average over that time of, of working, um, you're not getting those increments. It's not addressing. Um, the same issues that there was in the 2002 uh, contract. So what we tried to do to address that um, was to in include a, what's called a less than full time um, 
allowance or pay premium, uh, which gives you anyone working less than full time for any reason and at any percentage, a thousand pounds a year to help address the fixed cost of training. So not everything you do as a trainee and working as a doctor gets reduced um, when your salary gets reduced when you work part time. So costs for childcare, for example, do not reduce by 50% if you work 50% of your hospital. Some of the course fees and the registration fees and things you need to do to keep your skills up through the year um, don't get discounted. So hopefully that goes at least some way for some people to addressing that. Um, we were very aware of, of the impact because what we don't want are people who feel the need to work less than full time for health or caring reasons um, or for opportunities that exist that they want to, um, to embark upon to be put off by financial barriers and to our, to our best ability we've tried, to, we've tried to remove some of those barriers to allow that flexibility within training and, and a contract that would support that. That's interesting. And what would you say has been the most notable changes since the contract was introduced? I think the most notable changes since the contract was, was, was first, I guess, imposed in 2016, but then agreed this year, um, has been the patterns of work that doctors now do. So I think very quickly there was a change from people being doing seven nights in a row and that sort of week-long period of nights, um, having worked a pattern of work, a uh, pattern of duties like that previously, I know the toll that that can take on individuals. I think we all, if we're honest, know that we're not working at our best at the end of those periods of time. So I think actually the most substantial change that's occurred is our working practices in terms of shift length and, and shift frequency. Um, clearly there's been, some, there's been some cultural changes. So our ways of addressing um, uh, overworked periods, so where you're working beyond what is deemed, what is termed and you're employed for, um, has changed from, from challenging the rotor itself as a group to challenging your own hours as an individual. And I think there's been some challenges there moving between those two aspects, from moving from the banding system to a system that relies on exception reporting, for example, in our contract. So I think there's been some notable changes, both the way we work and also as, 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 a, as a cultural factor. Um, and clearly there's been some friction points, both within, within groups of trainees, but also I think at the interface between trainees and, and our supervisors and those who, who, who manage our supervision. And um, I guess this is a bit of a controversial question, but would you say it's better or worse since the contract was introduced? Um, so this is undoubtedly better than what was imposed in 2016, um, which is thankfully supported by the vast majority of our membership who voted, which is, as I said, 82% in favour of, of, of agreeing the contract. Um, there are aspects that we don't have that we had in 2002. So the things like the annual pay progression was, was really ahead of its time. Whether or not it was intended to be ahead of its time, um, it was. It certainly was in terms of allowing people to uh, have that annual increment despite working with some time or going off on maternity leave or going to pursue academic interests. Um, so I think compared to what we had in 2016 that was imposed, um, it is miles better. Uh, and I think vast majority members have, have agreed and have, have said that. Um, clearly that this isn't the end. Um, we now can start a process of continual improvement and changes. Um, which was the norm. I guess some doctors, myself included, don't remember the time before the industrial action and, the, and, and that sort of swell of, of feeling in 2016 and, and just before. So hopefully, um, not only is it better than before, but it will continue to improve um, as, we, as we work um, with our members and other groups to, 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 get that, uh, to get the changes we want from employers. 
I mean, that sounds great that there's been some really positive improvements since the contract um, change. Um, I, I guess there's always room for improvement. I mean, are there any key areas that you think could still be improved? Like if they were to renegotiate it again in the future or to make changes? Absolutely. I think there were some areas that, that I don't think we still have a, a defined improvement for. And I think those elements tend to, maybe not so much for anaesthetists, but for those specialties who work non-residents. So these are people who, who may be required to come into work to perform duties, but aren't technically paid for all of the hours um, as if they were in work. So you might be at home waiting for a phone call. Uh, some of our surgical colleagues, perhaps, who were at home waiting for a phone call to do some work, but if they weren't called, aren't paid for the hours in which they've just been sat there available. So most people, I, I think, would admit to the fact they don't get proper sleep during this time if they're waiting for a phone call. Um, they will have to not have family events because they have to be available. So clearly, I, I don't think we feel that the the compensation for that duty is appropriate currently, and hopefully we can improve that as time goes by. Um, other things that I would like to see in would be a way of, of looking at annual leave um, and how that's calculated with most doctors having their leave based on 40 hours of work but the vast majority of juniors working on average about 46 hours of work a week so clearly our hours have increased but the time allowed to paid time allowed to recover from those 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 duties has not so i think there's lots of things we can improve above and beyond the obvious which is more money for mm -hmm. for, for less work um but cognizant of the fact that also um we don't exist in isolation we exist within a an employer, uh, employer, which is the health service, which is continually under strain. Um, and we also exist in this sort of quasi-state as, as trainees. So not only do we have employees, but we also have uh, sort of other outcomes and, and other stakeholders who have, have says in, in what we do and how we do it. Um, so hopefully maybe delineating some of the, the where the, the crossover points are between employment and training and actually ensuring clearer lines of accountability for whose job it is to provide certain elements. Because I know in the past there have been cases where um, that's been sort of blurred and it means that maybe trainees haven't had um, a fair hearing or a, um, I guess that means that there have been cases where those, those lines have become blurred um, and it was meant that the trainees maybe haven't got the resolution to issues that, that they, they hoped for or deserved. You mentioned about kind of having enough um, time to rest. I think that's definitely a very big, important issue at the moment in the NHS. That um, um, I know there's a lot of initiatives at the moment. There's a lot of campaign work. Um, I mean, do you still feel that's obviously a very important area that needs to be pushed more? I guess by by the NHS and and health authorities. And there's definitely. It, do you think there's probably still a lot more work that needs to be done in in I think promoting rest, that as I think, well. Yeah, promoting rest, promoting um, the relief of fatigue and, and ways of working. And this is about longevity as well. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware that, that train, trainees aren't trainees forever. They're consultants or GPs or, or associate specialists or staff grades or trust grades, or whatever, however they want to have their career. Um, they, they move on from training. And you may do so and, and then potentially work into your late 60s, maybe some into their 70s. And we need to be working in ways and resting in ways that allow that to be a possibility. Um, if we're not going to be dealing with even more shortages within our workforce. Mm. This is about working well, not just at the junior stage, but through all parts of a career. I think one of the more important things about rest is that these cannot be platitudes. Um, if people are serious about rest, they can't on one hand say, yes, we absolutely support rest and fatigue, 
but we just have so many gaps you're going to have to work these shifts um, because the service um, owes it to its employees and to its trainees to look after their health um, it is an occupational health issue it's a, it's a health at work and safety at work matter um, that I think we deal as a bit of a bonus a bit of a flourish uh, so to speak and when actually these it should be at the core of designing how we work I think I think as well I think one of the key things is about flexibility of working as well about allowing doctors at all stages of their training to to work in a way that again sustains their ability to continue working so whether that be allowing doctors at the start of their anaesthetic training to access the same provisions to be less than full-time as those um, who are later in their career um, that's more difficult now than, than I think it should be um, and also uh, with sort of topical things as well I guess the College of Curriculum changes about ensuring that actually we, we fully look at the implications of employment when we change curricula because they are so intertwined um, doctors in training uh, are employed alongside their curricula and also pay is now calculated on points within the curricula so that has to be factored in um, so I think focus on flexibility on safety and well-being um, and also the long-standing issue of, m of mitigating unintended consequences when any system is changed um, really have to be factored in you can get in touch via the BMO website the full list of all the contract changes are always maintained on our website which is always up to date um, with all the latest documents um, I'm also uh, at Dr Matt Tucker on Twitter happy to take uh, direct messages um, or you can in, uh, email at, at the BMA um, and I'll always forward the messages on to the relevant people Lovely, um, that was a really interesting interview to have thank you for taking the time to come in and speak to us This podcast was brought to you by the Royal College of Anaesthetists Please note that all views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and not those of the Royal College of Anaesthetists.